0: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and there's Jerry. We are up, up, and away our beautiful, (laughs) our beautiful
0: podcast. Uh, You know what I was disappointed to learn today? I've never read it, but Around the World in 80 Days, Mm -hmm. apparently it wasn't like a balloon race story i thought it was like there's a balloon on the cover of the the
1: vhs cassette tape
0: well the movie changed it and i looked up today the original jules verne book uh uh-huh. uh they said that he entertained the balloon thing but then kind of disregarded it saying like it's not feasible so it was like trains and other modes and ships and other modes of transportation and in it, the book yeah and apparently the movie version uh, <laughs> took it and ran with it with a balloon and even such that a balloon is on the cover of a lot of the books now.
1: So in the movie,
0: it's balloon centric. They do it well, with a balloon. I think, but I haven't seen the movie, so I don't know. I haven't sure. either. But whenever I think of that, balloon. But in the I book,
1: a balloon. Jules Verne is like, this is preposterous. We couldn't just do it in a
0: balloon. I think that's the case. I mean, I just skirted through this uh-huh. research, so uh, I'm sure fans will hold me to the fire for this.
1: Well, I think we should both go see that movie because I want to see it, too. Go see it? Go go to a television and see it. <laughs> okay, gotcha. what it's, what, the, where it's streaming. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I
0: was like, I didn't know it was playing.
1: Yeah, it's at all the cinemaxes right that, now. Didn't Owen Wilson remake it too? Uh, somebody did. I, I I accidentally ran across that one, and before I could like click, no, no, close the tab. I sure. saw like Jackie Chan was in it and uh, Steve Coogan. Oh, I love Coogs. Yeah, doesn't mean that it was a good remake. You I know what I mean? Agreed. <laughs> Uh, so hot air balloons. You ever been in one? No, have I you? Have, no, and I never will ever in the, my whole life. I won't.
0: It seems like something that would not be Joshy, <laughs> no, Josh esque.
1: No, I I I think it's one of One of the things, one of my great joys in life, is looking at
0: pictures of hot air balloons on the ground. Yeah, I just realized with like, your feet sitting on the ground in your chair, your yeah, butt in the chair, yeah. But it's true. I I do love looking at pictures of hot air balloons. (laughs) Have you ever seen a a race going on or a a a gathering like been out? No, my dad my
1: dad uh, went on a hot air balloon ride. I've seen them out like around Callaway Gardens. I've never been to, but there's like a really big hot air balloon expo there. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, it's coming up actually in September, like beginning. I think like September, maybe Labor Day weekend.
0: Oh, I believe. Why did you sound disappointed just then? Well, I have plans for it weekend. Oh, well. <laughs> so no ballooning for me.
1: No, but you can look at pictures of it afterward. Your hobby. Yeah. So, um, but no, I, I have never been in one.
0: Will you? Uh, I mean, I, I would, but I'm not like, it's not on my bucket list or anything. Right. Like if someone, like if a fan wrote <laughs> in and said, I'm a balloon pilot, I'd like to invite you on a free trip, then I would totally do it. I'll be by your house to pick you up, to stand on your roof at six p m <laughs> or I may be somewhere close by because you never know where we'll land. There's probably fans at Callaway
1: Gardens. You should go down there with the stuff you should know t shirt on yeah mm-hmm. just hang
0: out sure <laughs> so uh yeah, uh, and that was a um a teaser slash spoiler by the way, that was not just a joke. I don't get it that you never know where we're gonna land. I don't get that at all. They don't know where they're going to land, necessarily. Didn't you read the article? Oh, yeah. I thought you were talking about us. <laughs> no, no, no. I thought you were making like a reference to tour or something like that. No, no, no. I mean, the hot air pilot, well, hot air balloon pilot would say, I may land at your house to pick you up, and I may be a mile or two away.
1: Got it. I would put to you, Chuck, that no podcast has ever gone this far off the rails this early in. I think we're right on the rails. Do you? We're talking about hot air balloons. See, we can't even agree <laughs> on whether we're off the rails or not. All right, let's <laughs> let's let's talk about this. Hot air balloons. Yes. They actually have uh, not the longest history you would think. Usually when we do something like this, we're like, uh, you know, hot air balloons are actually thousands of years old. Yeah,
0: ancient China. Not the case. No.
1: No, the idea is that, um, that uh, the understanding of the principles of how hot air balloons work have been around for a couple thousand years. Right. But hot air balloons themselves... And actually, the first human to ever fly didn't happen until the 18th century, until I think 17, the 1780s, right? Uh,
0: for the hot air balloon, 1783. Yeah. With, uh, Joseph and Etienne Montgolfier.
1: (laughs) Not bad names. If you're gonna be born in France, those are good names to have.
0: That's right. And, uh, they worked for their, uh, for a paper company, their family's paper company. And then on the side, like, you know, the little, floating uh, Japanese lanterns. Mhm. I think they made those for fun out of paper. Right. Cuz I had leftover paper. <laughs> yeah. And um and that we should have I didn't look into that too much by the way for this, did you? The Montgolfier brothers? No, the 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 lanterns.
1: No, and I meant to be, I, I I always think of what was that movie about the um the the tsunami? Oh yeah. There's like a scene in there, isn't there, where they release like a bunch of those?
0: Was it the one with Naomi Watts? And, uh, yeah. Oh boy, that was a tough movie. I never saw it. You should check that out. Yeah? It was very realistic and tough to get through.
1: Which one should I watch first? That or Around the World in 80 Days?
0: Uh, the, the the one I can't think of the name of. Okay.
1: What was it called? It's like The Great Beneath, or The Great... The, the the I don't know I can't remember it's something like that. Are you going to look it up? Because if so, I'll start talking about balloon history. I think while you, you should do it. talk about
0: balloon history. So
1: anyway, the uh, the brothers Montgolfier they um, started fashioning little, basically model um, hot air balloons out of paper from their their family's mill, like you said. Yeah, and they said this works. This works. Conceivably, if we make a big enough balloon. We could float livestock in the air if we wanted to. Yeah, <laughs> and and they did. They ran a test, and they were so sure of this test that they actually invited the king, um, Louis the Sixteenth, to come check it out. And they ran a test that involved a sheep, a uh, duck, and a chicken, which they put into a basket attached to a hot air balloon, and said, "Voila!"
0: And the, they probably the, did say "Voila." I'll bet they did.
1: And the king went, "Ha
0: ha." Uh, they did, and they uh, actually those weren't random selections of animals. Um, they chose the sheep because it was similar to humans as far as uh, being a land mammal of, having, a, of having a certain hair, size.
1: Hair. Sheep is represented hair. with hair.
0: Well, one of the worries was is feet. they wouldn't be able to... Ducks have feet. Uh, yeah, they wouldn't be able to breathe up there. Yeah. So uh, that's why they said, well, let's send a mammal up there to see if it survives.
1: Yeah, that was one of the first things hot air balloons proved was that humans... Or living things can breathe in the atmosphere. No one knew that before because no one had been into the atmosphere before.
0: That's right. And the uh, the duck and the chicken, the rooster, were chosen because they can both fly. Um, so they were the control, but they can both fly at different altitudes. So uh, they didn't just randomly throw three farm animals in there. There was okay. a purpose behind each one. I'm sure the
1: sheep is like, what are you two worried about? You're the ones who can fly.
0: Is that a French sheep? Mm, yeah. <laughs> okay. Sounded like droopy a little bit. It was a little bit. Droopies it was it uh, from
1: the Burgundy region. That's what they sound like down there. Oh,
0: okay. And um, by the way, uh, The Impossible was the name of that movie. The Great Underneath,
1: The Impossible, virtually the same thing. Agreed.
0: So, uh, they floated it up there. It, uh, in the beginning, they thought that the smoke was what provided lift, uh, because they were just silly, uh, 18th century goons. And, um, <laughs> the smoke was the only thing they could see so they figured it had to be that
1: yeah and this they they were definitely producing a lot of smoke cuz they were using like straw manure whatever they could get their hands on to fuel these hot air balloons
0: yeah and their balloon was uh it was a rigid frame it was a frame made of light wood and the balloon was uh cotton or silk and uh, so it wasn't like the the non-rigid balloons that we have today yeah the non-rigid canopies Need to be more specific.
1: So the Montgolfiers um, were feted by King Louis the Sixteenth. They all ate some lamb's legs together. I would assume. Oh, I bet. Um, and then about their gout. Yes, and then two months <laughs> later, uh, they're like, "It's time for human trials," and they put yeah. two people, not themselves, in a uh, a balloon and sent them up.
0: Yeah, uh, the king wanted convicted criminals at first to pilot it because they figured that's just. What you do back in those days. Let's just use these criminals for something. Hey, that's what connects this
1: episode yeah. with the next one. Convicted right. criminals. Spoiler.
0: Uh but they uh were he was talked out of that and said, No, nah, we should probably get some people that kinda know what they're doing. So they got a uh, a major in the infantry named Marquis Francois uh Delardin. That's not bad. Darland? Darland. Yeah, yeah. And uh you do the second one.
1: Uh a physics professor, uh Pilatre de Rosier. Yeah. Very nice. Pilatre de Rosier.
0: Yeah, and uh De Rosier became not only the first human to pilot a balloon, but he became the first human to die piloting a balloon. Yeah, um, not in that flight though.
1: A couple of decades later he did, right?
0: Yeah, he tried to fly over the English Channel and he had a great bad idea that was to put a hydrogen balloon inside of the hot air balloon. Yeah, why just use air? Use something lighter than air. Yeah. And uh, that didn't work out so well because about 30 minutes into the flight, uh, when you apply fire to a hydrogen <laughs> balloon, it blew up.
1: Yeah. And he died. Had he been a chemistry professor, this might have never happened. But he was a physics professor. Yeah. So he did die. That's right. Um, but those two actually were the first human beings on the planet to fly, as far as we know. That's right. The whole world around in the history of humanity... Those two did it.
0: The first. Oh, do you mean fly? Like you consider that flying? Like yeah. Pre Wright brothers. Yeah,
1: and the Wright brothers are usually turned are given the um, the title of the f- of the first manned powered flight. Yeah, because it's a little bit different than floating. Apparently, they're not even that. Somebody else beat the Wright brothers to it. Of course, that's any- a whole other yeah. podcast, if you ask me. Yeah. But this is the first flight of any sort, as far as anybody knows. Yeah. Although, didn't like the ancient Chinese hang glide. I don't know. I feel like they did and we've talked about it. Maybe. Well, we'll
0: find out. I feel like the ancient Chinese did almost everything way before everyone else did. Yeah, they just didn't tell anybody about it because they were isolationists. Yeah. Uh And look where it got them. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're on the rise in the 21st century.
0: So, uh, balloons fell out of fashion for a number of years because, uh, the dirigible, which we did a podcast on blimps. Yep. Came into fashion because you can steer those and you can take more people. Yeah, that's a big plus. You can steer them. Yeah. You're, you're <laughs> not at the,
1: uh, the mercy of the vagaries of the winds.
0: Uh, and then there was something called the, the, the smoke balloon. Um, did you... This see sounds like fun. The thing about the flying Allens? No. Did we
1: talk about them in the circus family episode? No,
0: but we should have because they were a circus family and that's where a lot of the smoke balloon activity took place was in circuses and fairs in the late 1800s and early uh, 1900s. Yeah. And that was, it was an act. This I would possibly do.
1: No, you wouldn't. I might. Go look at the footage. Because it would be, it would be over fairly quickly. Your death? (laughs) so tell them about well tell them what a smoke balloon is
0: well that's basically a a balloon that's uh, lifted from the ground with the fire but it's not attached to fire they basically just hold you to the ground till this thing is full and then they let you go and you shoot up in the air
1: and you're attached to the balloon yes and you are hopefully wearing a parachute Yes. And everybody's holding the balloon down, and then when everybody lets go, like you said, you shoot up into the air. Yep. And then once you hit your apex and the balloon, like, loses heat and starts to come back down to
0: Earth, um, you get away from it and parachute down. It sounds great. Yeah, well, the Flying Allens did all kinds of stuff. Like, they, it was a family of, uh, you know, like, teenager kids. So, like, they were all teenagers? Well, no, they were parents, but they were oh, sending oh, okay. their teenage kids up. Like, three at a time hanging and doing, like, trapeze work uh-huh. under these balloons. Uh, like, one of them brought a cannon up and was shot out of a cannon. Sure. Because <laughs> that's what you do. Right. And, uh, I mean, it's just crazy. There's actual footage of them trapezing under a balloon and then dropping and parachuting. Wow. And it's like a static line deal. There's no free fall, really. You don't see that these days. <laughs> what? Smoke balloon acts? All right. <laughs> it's because they're probably... Uh, I would say they're dangerous. It sounds a little dangerous, but thrilling. Yes, I'm sure it was.
1: So um, this was in the late 19th century, right? Is it a smoke balloon? Uh,
0: early 1900s.
1: So by the time this had happened, by the time smoke balloons were like a popular carnival attraction, hot air balloons had been basically totally abandoned yeah. in favor of dirigibles, right? Sure. Um, and it wasn't until the 1950s, that they started to experience a revival. Apparently, the U.S. military, I think the Navy, the Office of Navy Research to be exact, from yeah. what I understand, yeah um, they said, hey, we need to figure out a way to ferry sheep and ducks and chickens from point A to point B, <laughs> yeah. but we don't want to spend a lot of money or put a lot of effort behind it. So you, Mr. Ed Yost, come up with an idea for us. How are we going to move our sheep
0: and chickens and ducks? Balloons, huh? That's what he said. Yeah, he founded Raven Industries, and they, uh, in the mid-1950s, started designing these hot air balloons for the Navy. And uh, that, uh, I think he's the one that kind of, uh, I don't know if he patented it, literally, but he, he got on board with that light bulb shape.
1: Well, I think he... I think he came up with it cuz his his original designs were spheres, were round, perfectly round balloons. Yeah, no good. But no, we figured out that like the the way that the uh hot air heated up inside the balloon, the top of the balloon would be fully inflated, but the bottom wouldn't be. And that's not good. You want it pretty much uniformly inflated. Yes. So he just got rid of the bottom of the sphere and tapered it in to make what you, like you say, the light bulb design. I'm pretty sure it was him or at least his
0: company. Yeah. He's, I mean, he basically said, you don't need this extra material.
1: Right. So this, the what you think of when you think of a hot air balloon is uh, from as recent as the 1960s.
0: That's right. And uh, he started in the 60s selling them after the uh, the Navy said, eh, not so interested anymore. And he says, well, I think they're civilian applications like fun.
1: They're like, um, we have no problem with that. Just please stop corresponding with us.
0: <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So that's uh it's a bit on history. And uh, when we come back, we will get into how these crazy looking things work. Right after this. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Josh, hot air balloons are based on one principle. And even though this article has four pages of incomprehensible science. It's like, seriously, <laughs> we
1: were saying earlier, it's like it's describing alchemy. Yeah. like it necessarily it, It's magic.
0: It doesn't make sense. And we'll, we will get into the science more. But very simply, hot air is lighter than cool air because it has less mass. Right. And so hot air rises. You've all heard that. It's going to be hotter at your ceiling in your bedroom. Yeah. is the floor.
1: If you're trying to cool off, do not stand on a chair and put your face toward the ceiling. No. And that's also why you reverse
0: your ceiling fans yeah. in the winter yeah. uh, to bring that hot air back down. That's exactly right, Chuck. Uh, but a cubic uh, foot of air weighs about 28 grams, which is about an ounce. And if you heat that by 100 degrees Fahrenheit, it's going to weigh seven grams less. So essentially, each foot of that cubic air in a hot air balloon lifts about seven grams, which is not much. No, it's not. And that's why they're so huge, to carry just that little basket with two or three people in it.
1: Yeah, because if you can capture enough air and heat it all by 100 degrees, each cubic centimeter will lift its own seven grams, Mm -hmm. and all those cubic centimeters put together will lift a lot of weight. So, for example, if you have 65,000 cubic feet of hot air, you can lift a 1,000 pounds. That's pretty great. Like you said, that's why those balloon envelopes is what they're called are so big, right? So, like you That's said, right. we're gonna, we'll, we'll talk a little more about the science in a minute, but, um, let's talk about the parts of the balloon, right? Parts is parts. I just gave away the name of the balloon itself. The envelope. The envelope. Yes. The most beautiful part of the balloon. Cause wicker's ugly, frankly. But the balloon itself is You're gorgeous. You're not into wicker? Not really. No. I would figure with your macrame obsession, you would be way into wicker. I'm obsessed with macrame because <laughs> it's horrid. You
0: know what I mean? But wicker doesn't, isn't it's horrid pe- it's enough. It's too
1: pedestrian to be horrid. Ooh. You know what I mean?
0: Boy, the wicker association is going to...
1: I'm sorry. I know they've got a very hard. strong lobby, <laughs> but I'm not afraid of
0: them. They're going to put a wicker foot up your butt. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> exactly. Ow. Uh, yes, the envelope is made up of uh, nylon triangles called gores. Yeah. A bunch of them. And those gores are even made up of smaller parts uh, sewn together. Panels. Panels, if you will.
1: Yeah, like the, the strip, you know how like a balloon has lines usually going down it? Yeah. Uh, those in between the lines, the whole thing from top to bottom, that's the gore, right? Yes. But the gore itself is made up of smaller panels that you can't see unless you're close to it. That's right.
0: Yeah. All sewn together. Nylon is, uh, what they use because it's light and, uh, it also has the, uh, nice feature that it's, um, it's not as flammable.
1: No, it has a high melting point. Yeah. So you can get it kind of hot. Before it starts to melt, <laughs> like Toth from uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's right.
0: <laughs> uh, what they use as their uh, fuel and their propellant uh, is heat brought on by propane, but mm-hmm. not not the kind of propane gas that you use in your backyard. This is liquid, compressed liquid propane.
1: Right, which means that it, it takes up a lot less space. So you can use smaller canisters- Canisters, call canisters. <laughs> uh Which is important because you are carrying them aboard the hot air balloon with you in the basket. So yeah. you want more space for paying customers than, you know, propane canisters. Well, you probably want the right mix of both. Sure. That's true. You but know, if I- you can get a smaller and more propane in a smaller canister, yeah. that's ideal, hence why they use liquid propane. The problem is, is that if you just burn liquid propane... It, it it's not going to burn as efficiently as say, gas propane. Yeah, you'll just burn through it. Well, they have figured out a way around this, Chuck. With these burners, the things that are at the bottom of the um, the envelope in the little rim that's called the skirt. Yeah. Um, those are the burners, right? And they're connected by hose to the propane canisters in the basket. That's right. And on the burner itself is a coil that the propane comes into, and there's a pilot light that heats that, that propane. It burns some of it as it's coming in. Mm-hmm. And then the heat from that, that burn off heats the coil. So it turns that liquid propane into gas propane at the burner. Then it ignites it. And that's what burns into the hot air within the envelope. So it's pretty clever. Correct. So it, it converts the liquid propane to gas propane at the burner so that you have a much more efficient burn.
0: Right, and sometimes, uh, let's say if they're flying over a field of cattle, uh, that thing's pretty loud when they're burning the gas. Yeah, yeah, and they they they're like, ah, oh, we don't want to disturb the cattle, so they can actually. There's another valve where they can burn just the straight liquid, like we were talking about. Right, it's much quieter. It'll keep you aloft. Keep you aloft for a little while. Um,
1: I, I think it's a very nice thing to do because they don't want to sure. scare the livestock.
0: Well, and I imagine as a passenger, it's much more, uh, you know, user friendly, rider friendly. If you just hear that little sound and not that big, do it again. Yeah. That would annoy me at a certain point. I don't think it would annoy me. If you're having a nice conversation, oh, man. Right. And the pilot's like, sorry, I'm just trying <laughs> to keep us alive. Do you want to float or not? Right. Or fly, excuse me.
1: I think float's
0: okay. accurate, too. So the skirt that we mentioned, is um, it is nylon as well, but it is coated in a fire-resistant material, right. which is very key, because that's where the hot stuff is.
1: And so the the basket is traditionally wicker, not for any kind of throwback purposes. I had no anything. idea. I, I always, didn't either. I
0: always figured it was throwback.
1: I always thought they were just trying to annoy me. <laughs> right. Like a beautiful hot air balloon, and then like the world's ugliest little box, right? Uh-huh. It turns out that wicker plays a role in um, absorbing the impact of landing.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. I, I still have a hard time believing they can't build something better. Right. Something out of like like the
1: same stuff they make Super Bowls out of. Yeah.
0: Or something with, with shocks or springs or, you know, that's like Kevlar. I don't know.
1: Well, the other the great aspect of it is when you add shocks or something, you're adding weight, wicker. True. You need
0: the wicker yeah.
1: to stand in, but because it's woven, it will absorb that impact and distribute it across the wicker
0: rather than up into your knees. As, as much. Yes. Yeah. I, think, I so think it makes
1: sense. It kills several birds with one stone.
0: I think it's a one of those if it's not broke, don't fix it deals. Probably. Like they've probably looked into it and been like, "Wicker's fine." But can't they like wrap it in construction paper or something? <laughs> one guy made a glass bottom uh basket. That sounds terrible. I think it's a great idea. They should all be glass bottom. Oh man. Cuz then you can just look at right I down. I know. Well, you know I would totally <laughs> lose my mind. <laughs> Uh, there is an upper, the more, you know, fuel you pump in there, it's going to rise, 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 but there is an, uh, upper altitude limit because the air becomes thin and, uh, you know, you can't lift the balloon any further basically at a certain point.
1: Well, let's talk about what you're talking about real quick. Let's talk about the science. All right. All right. So why, why it doesn't make any sense that you, um, would not, that there would be an upper limit, that the balloon will only float up to a certain height in the atmosphere it doesn't make sense until you understand the forces at play of what makes a hot air balloon float, right? Right. It's actually pretty simple. I would advise you strongly that if you want to understand this. Don't read the article. Don't read this article. <laughs> Go find it elsewhere on the internet. Yeah,
0: just listen to us.
1: Yeah, okay. Well, we're, we're trying, mm-hmm. I guess, is what I'm saying. Um, but the, the, the hot air balloon floats because of the principle of buoyancy or the buoyancy effect. Yes. Right? And buoyancy is an upward force that counteracts gravity, right? That's right. So, uh, at sea level, gravity is at its strongest. Buoyancy is apparently at its weakest, right? Okay. I believe. Maybe it's at its strongest. I just threw that in and I could be wrong. So I'm going to back off of that part. But I do know that gravity's at its strongest at sea level, uh-huh. at least as far – until you get into the water and then it gets more and stronger and stronger. At least until someone emails us and tells us otherwise. Right. <laughs> so um, the air at sea level has a lot of gravity acting on it. And one of the reasons why it has a lot of gravity acting on it is because that's where the most molecules, air molecules, are found in the entire atmosphere of the Earth.
0: Yeah, these air molecules are all around us at all times. We can't see them, but they're smashing into each other. They're creating energy, which is... Air pressure.
1: Right. So the the movement of these air particles, combined with their mass. I mean, they're very very tiny, but they still have mass. And sure. And because there's so such a mind boggling number of air molecules in the atmosphere, there's enough of them. With they have enough of a combined mass that they have a substantial mass that gravity can act on. That's right. And again, it has its strongest uh, force at at sea level. Right. So. Air pressure is strongest at sea level because the air is denser there. Okay? Okay. Now, if you have air that's lighter than the air at sea level, that air will float. That's right. And when you apply heat to it... It's going to be lighter. Right. And the reason it's lighter is because it expands. Right. Okay? So it's less dense. Yeah. Few, well, is it fewer molecules or just less dense? I think they. they it, it's not necessarily fewer. They just occupy a, sm, a larger space. Right? right?
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: So it's less dense, which means just like with water, if you take a, a cork, a cork is less dense than water, which is why when you put a cork in water, it's going to float. Yes. It's buoyant. Air is the same thing as water. They're both fluids. Yeah. So the same principles are at work that Archimedes figured out years and years ago. Yeah. Um, in the air as well. So if you could take this hot air and capture it in some sort of way like in, in a an very envelope of nylon, yeah, yeah, like a very light vessel like that, it will float and it will displace. It will be as buoyant as uh, it, in an equal amount to the weight of the air it displaces. That's right. So it has that lift. So that's all that's at work is yeah. warmer air floats above colder air because it's less dense, and all a hot air balloon does is capture warm air so that it, it will float, and you attach your basket onto it, and you get to float with it. Nice job. Thank you. <laughs> I, I'm sure I got a few things wrong in there, but no, I we bet did you. okay.
0: I think that was pretty pretty dang close. It sounds like somebody's being killed in the other room.
1: I know we should go investigate. You wanna take a break?
0: Yeah, let's take a break and we'll uh we'll get to how to pilot these beasts. Yeah. yeah. All right, Josh. Nice job on the science.
1: I I feel like you're jinxing me every time you compliment me on that. No. <laughs> I think somebody's going to write in and be like, I'm embarrassed for you how badly no, you got that
0: wrong. No. So if you uh, go to pilot one of these things, it's pretty simple. Um, and when I say pretty simple, that is not to remove the uh, amount of admiration I have for these pilots because it takes skill. Like you and I can't just jump in one. We would kill ourselves. Oh, yeah. And if we piloted one. no oh, yeah. It takes hundreds of hours to yeah. become
1: a, a, a good pilot of a hot air balloon.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like, um, when I took, uh, went to Vancouver, I took that float plane, uh, trip mm-hmm. uh, with Reggie, the Vancouver pilot. Yeah. And I was, uh, I didn't mean to insult him, but while we were flying, I, I looked at him and I was like, Reggie, I'm just looking at what you're doing. And I said, I feel like I could do this. Oh. I said, it looks, you know, it doesn't look too hard. And he said, it's not. He said it's flying in c- great conditions is super easy. He said it's flying in not great conditions is where you earn your stripes as a pilot. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh. Yeah. Because he was just doing some levers and steering a thing and doing peddling some, some really foot hard. stuff. Yeah, yeah pedaling really quick. But I get the same feeling. It's like with a, a hot air balloon pilot. It's it's pretty simple at its basis because all you're doing, literally, the only controls you have are to make that thing go up and down. Right. Up by releasing more hot air down because you have a cord attached to the uh, valve at the top. Yeah, it's that a parachute releases, valve. Yeah, it releases some of that hot air so you can sink and land. Yeah. And that's it.
1: Yeah, basically there's a strip, a circular strip at the very top of the balloon. And when you pull on that cord, it opens it up. It pulls it away a little bit. And by releasing some of that hot air, you're cooling effectively the air inside the envelope so you start to come down.
0: So you got up and you got down. <laughs> but Josh. Yes. How do they go left and right? How do they fly horizontally in different directions? It seems like you would just go where the wind takes you. You do. So, how do they go in different directions? Well,
1: it, <laughs> apparently so there's um there is wind and then there's also something called wind aloft, and wind aloft is in the uh, in the atmosphere. Yeah. Um and it goes in different directions at different altitudes. There you have it. So, if you wanted to go say west, You rise up to 1,300 feet. Where the winds blow west. If you want to go around in circles a few times, you go north. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah? By going up to 2,800 feet.
0: That's right. So basically, all they're doing is controlling altitude to control horizontal direction based on uh, wind patterns.
1: Yeah, which, again, doesn't sound that hard. It still consists of up and down. It's just going up and down to the right places depending on where you want to go. The thing is, this is this takes a tremendous amount of skill and experience, I would say too. Yes, an experience. Almost like what you would call probably muscle memory. Yeah. Because the it takes about thirty seconds for the um, the balloon to
0: respond either way. Sure. To either the valve or the burner. So you can't say, oh man, that power line's right in front of me. Let me get out of the way. No, and you got to see that coming from a long distance and say, "Let me get out of the way." Right? Did like see, steering a cruise ship or something.
1: Did you see that video of the people that they 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 had that same that very thing happen to them? No, I don't watch those videos. There were there. It was um I believe in Virginia in 2000, 2013 or fourteen. Like they just either didn't see a power line or. I don't know what happened, but, like, the guy tried to pull out, like, right before and, and go aloft higher up. Yeah. And they hit the power line. The whole thing just caught fire. Wow. Yeah, which is apparently a very – as far as hot air balloon accidents go, that is a fairly common um accident.
0: Yeah, I would imagine uh that's the – sure. Power lines. Probably one of the most awful ways to go, I would imagine. Yeah, I would guess. Because it's slow. You can see it coming you know it's not like a car crash right you're like all right we're getting closer to your death (laughs) closer to your death yeah yeah that would be pretty bad and of course i'm not making light of it that's truly terrible sure um so i kind of joked earlier that they don't know quite where they're going to land and that is true um they have an idea of where they want to land and they've plotted this out they're not just willy-nilly up there but um if, you, if you'll notice, when you're in a hot air balloon basket, one of the most vital uh, people on your side are the ground team.
1: Yeah, which you have to have. If you're a hot air balloonist, the sum total of the people who are involved in your hot air balloon trip are not in the balloon. No. There are plenty of people following you in a car.
0: That's right, because they're, they're basically... Following you to where you will eventually be able to land.
1: Yeah, and again, you um, have an idea possibly of where you want to land, maybe the county or the state that you want to land in, (laughs) but it probably doesn't go too much further than that. Um, And I guess a safe pilot, well, number one, there's some conditions that you want to look for um, when you're piloting. Um, For example, like you, when you start, before you go up, you want to have contacted a weather service. Sure. To find out which way the wind's blowing. At least look at your, your smartphone weather app. I'm sure that there's probably hot air balloon apps for that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, they give you a little more advanced uh, wind detail.
1: Right. You also don't want a thunderstorm within
0: 100 miles? No. That's, lightning is terrible for hot air balloons. And and hot air ballooning in the rain is dangerous and no fun anyway. Yes,
1: it is. So um, if you're a uh, normal pilot, you're probably only going to want to fly in ideal conditions, right? Like yeah. a nice day with just a, a little bit of wind. Yeah, you don't want too strong a wind either. Yeah, and you don't want the winds aloft to be high no. because even on the ground the wind can be fine, but up in the atmosphere they might be going like crazy. So you want to know all this stuff before you take off. And then when you do take off, you're constantly looking around for potential emergency landing sites. Yeah, because, that part was a little scary. Yeah, you I mean you may whatever happens, you may need to land immediately and it's not it's not like pulling a car over on the shoulder of a highway. Right. Which can be dangerous enough at high speeds. <laughs> True. This is like landing a hot air balloon again in in a civilized world with lots of power lines everywhere. And roads and lakes and all sorts of stuff that you don't want to fly into. So you constantly have to be looking out for a place to land.
0: Yeah. You probably don't think about all the stuff around you, uh, until you're up in a balloon like that. Yeah. And you know that each one of those things is a hazard. Yep. Um, the other thing a uh, pilot will probably do is send up a, just a regular old helium balloon. They call them pie balls. Yeah. Pilot balloons, but it's just a balloon. And they'll send that baby up there just to see like, okay. Where's that guy going? Because that's where we're going to be going. Right. And they watch it and just kind of chart its course for a little while. And um, then off they go. Oh, there's also some other things on board, of course. It's not just a basket. They're going to have an uh, altimeter and yeah. a variometer. Right. Uh, just to know where they are, of course. Mm-hmm. And um, But other than that, it's pretty rudimentary. Yeah, it
1: really is. And the ground crew also is not just there to follow you in the car. Um and the, one of the reasons they're they're following you in the car is to give you a ride back home. Because you it's yeah. almost impossible to go land back at the same place you left from.
0: Yeah, because you started in Georgia and you landed in Alabama. Right, exactly.
1: So um, the ground crew is also there to help you um, set up. Which apparently is not as uh, involved as you would think. It takes 10 to 15 minutes yeah. to unpack fully a uh, hot air balloon and have it um, floating.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, basically in a big stuff sack, like a sleeping bag. Uh, they lay it out onto a, uh, like a, a covering, like a pad on the ground to protect it. Yeah. Uh, they start blowing it up with a fan, just a regular old fan. Yeah. Just to kind of get some, some air in that thing. And then they will start shooting it with the hot air and it starts to, you know, increase in size and then rise up and they've got it tied to the truck or whatever, right. the basket. Yeah. Uh, And everybody's holding or stake to the ground, I imagine. Yeah, Uh, and then you know, until it as it gets bigger and bigger, you just sort of sit around and wait. Put the champagne on ice, (laughs) sure, because that's a tradition when you land.
1: Yeah, as is the traditional leg of lamb per passenger.
0: (laughs) No, it really is. The champagne toast is uh, that started back in the olden days as a uh, sort of to placate farmers when they would land on their land. Oh, they bring
1: champagne with them.
0: Yeah, farmers were like. I don't want you landing on my land. First of all, that thing scares me. B, you're landing on my property. Yeah. You're scaring my cattle. And the guy would be like,
1: well, what about
0: some champagne? Yeah, they would offer him champagne. And, and the farmer so, would be like, <laughs> my one weakness. To the, Well, the he was already drunk. Oh, gotcha. Because it was in the Champagne region. Oh, yes. Of France. He's like,
1: I already have a bunch of this. I don't need your champagne.
0: But that tradition still holds true today. You take a champagne toast when you land. Uh, you might say soft winds and gentle landings. Or you might uh, recite the balloonist blessing or balloonist prayer, which is, the winds have welcomed you with softness. The sun has blessed you with its warm hands. You have flown so high and so well that God has joined you in your laughter and set you gently back into the loving arms of Mother Earth. (laughs) Clink, guzzle, guzzle, burp. Did you, you didn't make that up just now? No. That wasn't riffing? That's the balloonist blessing. <laughs> it's good, Chuck. Yeah, that was just, uh, scatting a poem. <laughs> Not bad. Uh, you land, you drink the champagne, and then you're done. You go about your day. And everybody packs up and,
1: yeah. Yeah, packing up takes a little longer. I mean, you're the paying longer. customer, so you're just like, see you later. Yeah, can But you everybody, take me everybody back else to has to car? pack up, yeah. Right.
0: Uh, like I said, packing up takes a, a little longer, but, um, it's, uh, it's, not too different than packing a parachute or a sleeping bag or something.
1: No, it's like you said, it's like a stuff sack, just packing it back in there.
0: That's right. And um a, an experienced pilot, it's uh it's not the easiest thing to land these smoothly, you know. You're going to bump and you might land a little too hard, but if you're an experienced pilot, you're going to bring it in nice and smooth. Yeah. Bump a little bit, give everyone a good uh ooh. <laughs> And then the champagne comes out.
1: And apparently the big draw of hot air ballooning is that it's a very serene experience. It, the, oh, I yeah. just kept running into that word over and over again. Everybody was like, Dude, it's you're the floating most through serene the air. and peaceful experience ever. I, I think it'd be amazing. I mean, it sounds nice aside from just the height
0: part. Oh, sure. I get why you don't want to do it. Yeah. I, I would never expect that. So is it safe? Uh, to do? Yes. I don't have any stats on deaths. I've got you? some
1: stats. From what I saw, it is, uh, relatively speaking, a safe thing to do. Um, there have been, um, what seemed like an uptick in balloon accidents. Yeah. It's, um, it's possible that reporting has increased or media coverage has increased, but over the last few years, um, there have been some very high profile accidents. Apparently, uh, as of 2014, between 1964 and 2014, there were 775 balloon accidents in the US. Whoa. Um, with 70 fatalities. And 16 people died ballooning from 2002 to 2012. So it does seem like there's an uptick in it somehow. 16 people over 10 years, mm-hmm. though. Right. right, but 70 over. Um, yeah, I guess that's about right. I guess it is average now that I say it. But um, there were some high profile ones. The worst ever was in um, Egypt, actually. In, uh, I think over Luxor, 19 of 21 people on board a hot air balloon died when it caught fire.
0: Yeah, they can, we didn't point that out. They can make these baskets really large now if mm-hmm. the balloon is large enough, obviously. Yeah. Some, I've seen double deckers too. Yeah. I don't know about
1: that. I haven't seen a double decker. That sounds kind of neat.
0: That's pretty neat.
1: Um, but uh, supposedly overall, it's a relatively, uh, safe thing to do. Let's call it safe Safeish. And, um, If you have some money, it's something you could get into. If you want a little two-person hot air balloon, it'll set you back about twenty-two k. And a three to four person, thirty-five to forty-five thousand dollars for your 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 very own hot air balloon with everything.
0: Includes everything. Yeah, they can be shaped like they have all kinds of crazy Mm -hmm. shapes now. If you've seen balloon shows, yeah, like I've seen them shaped like a castle or like a car or like Charlie Brown. I saw one with a spike through it. It was hilarious. Oh, like it
1: was punctured? Uh Uh-huh. That's the one I get in. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And then if you are into this kind of stuff or you want to find out whether you're into this kind of stuff, if you're in Georgia or the southeast, you can go to Callaway Garden Sky High Hot Air Balloon Festival. And then the big one is in Albuquerque. Oh, sure. The Albuquerque International Balloon Fiesta. It happens every year. I think it's in a couple months. Nice.
0: Yeah. I'd love to go to that.
1: So there you go, hot air balloons. You got anything else?
0: Yeah, I got some more stuff from uh, our buddies at Mental Floss. Um, they had a great t- 10 facts about hot air balloons. Here's one fact. Okay. There was a balloon duel in
1: 1808.
0: Oh, yeah? Two Frenchmen um, were in a love triangle, and they uh, <laughs> figured the best way to settle it was to get up and shoot at each other's balloon. I feel like I've heard about that before pretty silly French Frenchy thing to do, yeah, and uh, one of the guys shot the other guy's balloon the other guy missed, and the balloon uh crashed and killed the guy. Wow, hooray <laughs> and then uh in the u s there was uh the the Union army had a balloon corps uh Abraham Lincoln started the balloon corps they had seven balloons mm-hmm. and uh with names like the intrepid. And they would track enemy movement, they've been used in reconnaissance in the in since the seventeen hundreds, yeah, with the French army, yeah so uh the the Union Army did that, and then the Confederates made their own, i guess, out of uh whatever you know clothing they had laying around right, <laughs> and they just had the one balloon and it was captured by the Union army, oh really, yeah, in eighteen sixty three they
1: were like, give us back our balloon, sir." <laughs> Uh, Wow. Well, thanks, uh, Chuck. Thank you, friends at Mental Floss. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of Stuff You Should Know. Uh, If you want to know more about hot air balloons and alchemy, you can type that word into the (laughs) search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And uh, since I said alchemy, it's time for Listener Mail.
0: Uh, I'm going to call this a surefire way to get on Listener Mail. Hey, guys. I'm writing you from the county of Essex in England. I uh, only started listening about a month ago, and I can't get enough. Um, I've been trying to think of the best way to guarantee it's read on the air, so I found out some common traits. Uh, one, it should compliment you and massage your egos in some yeah. way. And number two, for balance, the letter should point out a mistake or oversight. Yeah. But also make an interesting contribution.
1: Yeah, this guy's got it. Set.
0: So first of all, I love the podcast. <laughs> You're both awesome and really funny and smart. <laughs> uh, second, I really... Uh, I'm intrigued by the podcast on left-handies. Left-handies? Left-handers. Let's just call them lefties. Lefties. And particularly the bit about how being left-handed can be an advantage in sports. Um, As you were saying, I felt sure that you had mentioned the case of Rafael Nadal, uh, the tennis player, uh, was mentally imploring you to do so, but you're not familiar with the story, I guess. No. He was born right-handed, but from the first time he picked up a racket, he was trained by his uncle to play with his left hand to make him... Uh, to give him an advantage and make him more difficult to beat. Uh, Most people believe him to be left-handed, but don't you think that's amazing that a player can become the best in the world, or at least the best on clay court uh, ever, perhaps, playing with their weaker hand? Pretty neat. It is very neat. Uh, It also poses an interesting question over how much the dominant hand that we're born with is actually just a state of mind that can be retrained. Yeah. Keep up the good work, chaps. And that is from Joe Broomfield. Thanks a lot, Joe.
1: Essence. Yeah, that worked pretty well. That was a classic listener mail. Classic. Uh, if you want to try your hand at a classic listener mail, you can lay it on us, but we are also always willing to give points for creativity, too. Sure. You can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash you should know. You can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web